Hello, my name is Adam Homey, and welcome to our Business Boosting Training Program Series, where we help you increase your website conversions, simplify your website technology, and make more money now. I'm especially honored today by the guest presenter we're going to have for you, who's going to share some great stories and some great knowledge that's going to help you build your business and become the rock star in your industry or niche. Now, before we get started and before I introduce our guest presenter, I want to just do a few housekeeping items. First of all, when you go to the link that we sent you by email at www.mybusinessboost.com forward slash July 10 details, that's www.mybusinessboost.com forward slash July 10 details, you're going to see a few things. First of all, uh, there's a little box there, and I think you've seen it already if you've registered, where you can ask your number one burning question about becoming a rock star in your industry or niche that will forward to Benny. Now, he's going to answer some of them on the call, but if uh, we're not able to cover all of them on the call, we'll respond by email. Second, uh, you can listen to this call either on the telephone or by webcast. And when you go to that same link, just scroll down and you'll see those items there. And then the third, also at mybusinessboost.com forward slash July 10 details, you're going to see a link to a crib sheet where you can download that, print it out, and then as we go through, if you catch any what we know is writer downers, inspirations, you can go ahead and, and capture those. You don't have to worry about taking notes word for word because we're also going to have the call transcribed and everybody who registered is going to get a complete copy of it. So with that, uh, Benny, do we have you on the line? Sure am. Awesome, awesome. So everybody, I'd like to introduce you to Benny Mardonis, a friend of mine going back almost five years now. Benny is internationally known as the creator of the song Into the Night. Into the Night was a top 40 hit twice, for 20 weeks in 1980 and 17 weeks in 1989, and has been played over 5 million times according to ASCAP, which is an organization that measures the performance of songs and also is a place where copyrights are registered and things of that nature, which we'll speak about a little bit in the call. Uh, Benny is also known for his numerous albums going all the way from Thank God for Girls in 1978, Clear Up the Let's Hear It for Love in 2006, and is currently, and has very recently released, a song called I've Got You. This brand new single was recently released on iTunes and is currently receiving airtime on radio stations in several markets. And among the things we're going to do is show you how Benny is utilizing social media and other internet marketing strategies to promote that song's market reach. So uh, without further ado, because we have a lot of stuff we need to cover on this call today. Uh, Benny, uh, you ready for the first question? I sure am, man. How are you doing, Awesome. Adam? Awesome. Awesome. Now, I've heard the story many times myself. In fact, you've personally explained it to me. But a number of our listeners are asking, what is that song, Into the Night, actually about? I was living in Spanish Harlem in an apartment building. And there was another family in the apartment building that had three kids, 15, 16, and 17 years old, two, two mm -hmm. girls and a boy. And I was sort of the resident rock star, you know, because I was making records and everything. And uh, one night there was a knock at my door, and I opened the door, and the three kids were standing there in tears. And I said, what in the world's going on? And I brought them into my apartment, and they said, our dad just left my mom and us destitute, and he's not coming back. This was a guy who was a struggling set designer on Broadway. And when he landed his first big show, 
instead of doing what most people I know in my life would do, which is take care of your family, come home and say, my ship has come in, our ship has come in, we're going to go get a house. Instead, he ran off with some 24-year-old girl in the chorus line and left his family destitute. I hugged him, and I told him, it's all going to work out. It's all going to work out, not really knowing if it was or not, but I had to be there for them. And uh, so I decided to give all three of the kids a job. The 15-year-old boy, every day after school, he would come to my apartment, and I'd give him $20 to run up and get me a gallon of milk, pack of cigarettes, something like that. Sometimes I just made it up, and then I'd tell him to keep the change, and that way he would have money in his pocket because he was 15 years old and in school. The 17-year-old sister, <clears throat> I paid her $50 every Saturday to come in and clean my apartment. But the 16-year-old girl, Heidi, she was the most devastated that her father had done such a thing, such a terrible thing. And so I hired her. I had a basset hound named Zanky Albo Rubidoux, Young Zank. He's been on a few of my albums. And I paid her to come to my apartment, let herself in every morning before school, take the dog for a walk, bring him back, feed him, and then when I woke up in the afternoon, I'd take over. Well, one night, Robert Tepper and I were up all night writing, trying to come up with melody or lyrics for this riff. And the riff went, dun, 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 dun. We couldn't come up with anything. And all of a sudden, the lock turned in the door, and I said, oh, my God, it's morning already. We've been up all night. And she walked in dressed for school. you got to figure, 1980. Mini skirt, stacked heels, 19, you know, 16 going on 21. And she says, you look like you've been up all night. I said, we have. And uh, she got the dog, and as she walked out the door, my partner went, oh, my Lord. And I said, hey, pal, she's just 16 years old. Leave her alone. And I said, play that riff again. Dun, 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 dun. She's just 16 years old. Leave her alone, they say. And from that, I wrote the song within the next two hours, Bob, and I wrote the song. <clears throat> and the song is about abandonment. It's like having a dream, struggling set designer. It's like having a dream where nobody has a heart. It's like having it all, he landed a show. Having it all and watching it fall apart. And if I could fly, I'd pick you up and take you into the night and show you a love like you've never seen. It was simply a metaphor for the fact that, you know, I was in my 20s, she was 16 years old, and she was like a kid sister to me. I didn't have any romantic feelings or anything. She was like a kid, you know. She was like my sure. kid sister. And uh, the record, you know, as, as you know, blew up and was the record of 1980. And uh, she became so popular for being the girl in the song that she started getting invited to all the A-list parties in Manhattan, New York City. And she met and fell in love with the son of the hotel builder. And they ultimately got married. And she lives in a beautiful mansion. And her mother lived with them until she passed away. And her brother works for the company. And every Christmas I get a card and it simply says, you changed my life. Well, it not only changed her life, but it changed my life because I went from being broke and a struggling writer, singer, to six million records and... The rest is history, as they say. But that's the true story. The story has nothing to do with 
me and a 16-year-old girl, it's about a family being abandoned by the father that they loved and trusted. Right, right. Thank, thank you so much for clearing that up. I mean, as I said, I've known this story for a long time, but a few people have been asking who signed up for the call. And what really grabs me about that story that I think is of value for our listeners, aside from, well, the entire story, is how you took something that was going on around you personally and you translated that into something that your audience could use. So you create yep. this sense of personal connection, this sense of something that's really passionate to you, because I don't know about some of the people on this call, but I can tell the difference if I'm listening to a presenter, or I'm listening to a speaker, or I'm reading a product or something along those lines. I can tell if their heart's really in it, or if this is some regurgitated crap that they had created they put their name on. I mean, there's just a real <laughs> big difference. Indeed <laughs> there right, is, right. man. there is. Yeah, so... so, so this song, Into the Night, has kind of an interesting story to it because it's one of the very few songs that ever charted twice on the Billboard Top 100, twice in two different years. And in the yeah, internet it's never marketing happened. world, yeah, right, right. In the internet marketing world, we have this term that's known as viral marketing, and it actually emerged in the 1990s. And it kind of refers to just marketing that takes on a life of its own. And as I seem to recall, this is sort of like what happened when End of the Night came back the second time in 1989 without you even really being aware of it first. So tell us a little Absolutely. bit about that. Well, there was a station out in Phoenix, Arizona, and it was the night shift, evening shift. And the program director stopped by the station to see how the guy was doing, and they started talking. And they pulled out the album, Never Run, Never Hide. And the disc jockey said, Into the Night was my prom song. And the program director started laughing and said, God, it was my prom song, too. It must have been thousands of prom songs. But that was our prom, theme, prom song theme, you know. And the program director said, listen, i got an idea. Let's just play it. Don't, don't say it's a recurrent. Don't say anything about it because it's been 10 years. Just play it. So they spun the record. And, of course, a whole new generation of teenagers that were out there in Phoenix never heard the song before. And they got over 120 phone calls that night from people wanting to hear it again and in five days it became the number one most requested song at the station so the rival station across town picked up on it and they started playing into the night the one across town had one advantage over the first station they owned a chain of 37 stations parallel one power stations across the country and they added it to all, all the stations and I'm sitting in my house in Woodstock New York and the program director of WDST, a guy by the name of Richard Fusco, was tearing up my driveway in a Jeep. And he jumps out and he says, well, how does it feel? I said, what does what feel? What is what, you know, what are you talking about? He said, pal, you're back on the charts. And I said, Richie, have you been smoking something? He said, look at this. And he opened up the Billboard magazine, and there I was, 77 with a bullet. Now, when I say a bullet... That means they circled it in red that it's destined to go higher the following week. And in a matter of another six weeks that had gone by, it was top ten all over the country. And I got a, rec a new record deal, and it landed, landed me on my feet again, and I was able to move forward with my life. And I, at the time, I had a son who was four years old, and I was able to do things for him that I didn't have a chance to do growing up because my family was what I would call dirt poor. We, had, we believed in God, we had our church, and we had our faith. But uh, we had not, not, not much more than that, and we made it through. When Into the Night hit, 
the first thing I did was pay off my mother's home and make sure that my family was taken care of. And so the lesson there is, you know, give yourself a reality check when you become successful. Take care of those that took care of you. Yeah, we're going to talk more about that as we go along, but that's so that's so important. Um, I like to call it I like to call it the more you give, the more you get, and you and you do for yourself by doing for others. Let me just be clear yeah. on one thing, Benny. Let me just be clear on one thing. You had nothing to do with this. You didn't even know about it. Just all of a sudden, I had no this idea. Guy comes up your driveway. All of a sudden, it's on thirty-seven stations across the country, important stations. I had no idea. I had and the no best idea part is, right. And the best, and the best part is, is this was a song that was almost ten years old that had been effectively sitting on the shelf in that radio station all these years, and they just pulled it out because they were filling some time on your night program. And next thing you know, you're back on the Billboard Top 40 again, and the you're back on top of the world. You ne- the lesson there is, you never know where it's going to come from. Keep all your options open. Keep your antenna up because you never know where your next hit or your next bit of success is going to come from. Absolutely. Absolutely. So speaking of successes and failures and the ups and downs, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges faced by a singer or a songwriter in today's market, whether they're just starting out or they're a veteran legend like yourself? Well, you know, I've always said the music business is a blood sport. You've got to be tough. You have to have thick skin because you're going to get rejected. You're going to be told no. You're going to be told it sucks. But if you believe in it, and you know in your heart that it's something you would listen to if you heard it on the radio, or, it's, or if in your kind of businesses, if it's something that you know that, that other people are going to like as much as you do, don't take no for an answer. Just keep plugging because eventually the right door will open for you. And that's really been my life story. Great, great. So I think you make a very great point about you never know when it's going to hit and you have to be persistent. What I tell people all the time is you need to be persistently consistent with your marketing. Just because you send a newsletter and it doesn't result in any immediate sales or you do a blog post and nobody comments on it or you promote a teleseminar and three people show up, you never know where the solid gold is going to be. So the biggest challenge I think in any business, uh, particularly the music business or any sort of Internet marketing type business is, it is tough. There's a lot of competition, and you're going to face rejection, and you're going to have people who won't believe it, or they're going to say this is a bunch of fluff or whatever, but you just have to keep going at it. Now, well, if you, have a con- if you hold a conference and three people show up, at least take them out to dinner. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And, and, there's, and sometimes there, there's a gem to that as well, because I've ended up at a couple events that undersold and it turned out to be a very tight small group but i've made friends for life i've built connections for life and yeah we got to go out to dinner that was made it really interesting i mean stories <laughs> of a lifetime right there there you go great 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 now i've been to many of your concerts lately i kind of got hooked onto the whole benny mania thing in 2007 2008 i've been a fan since i was 12 years old back in 1989 when into the night hit the second time but it's really I was about the 12 time. myself i think i was 12 myself i think exactly exactly so uh so i um so it's within the past five years i really dove in and what i've noticed at your concerts is in the, in the front row you're always going to find this group of rabid fans usually they're wearing t-shirts with your logo on them and they're holding up these little white towels with your signature on it and they call themselves benny maniacs i mean heck i'm one of them now what oh, yeah. have you done 
Yeah, now what have you done over the years to keep them coming back? And why do you think they feel so personally connected and devoted to you? Well, they know that I honestly, from the bottom of my heart, appreciate that they're there and they're so loyal. And when I come out to do a show, I do a show. If there were only 10 people, they know that I'd give them the same show if there's 10,000 people. I, I leave it all on stage. I give it all to them. And I always have time to stop, sign an autograph, take a picture, or give someone a hug if they need it. And I've been very good to my fans over the years, and my fans have been very, very good to me. What you put out, you get back. Right, right. I think that's a lesson that so many could learn, that, uh, that I mean, it's great to have 20,000 people on your list. It's great to have a line out the door. Uh, it, especially when that happens, it becomes all the more important to make sure each person in the room, each person in the audience, each person who has come and invested time and money in you feels that you care about them and have a moment for them, no matter how long that takes, because you never know when you might reach out and touch somebody and just make a complete difference in their life. Exactly. Right, right, right. Do you mind, mind if I tell, like, a, a slight personal story about you and me? That's fine. Great, great, great. I remember um, when you and I first met. I came to your, um, your annual Christmas dinner up in Syracuse in 2008. I bought a ticket, and I showed up, and we ended up being seated at the same table, actually right next to each other, which is a whole separate story. And I remember that, you know, we got into some conversation. We hit it off, and then I had, uh, and, I, and, I, and you asked me to send you an email afterwards. And you kept I trying kept, to steal my scotch. Exactly, that's exactly what I tried. I kept trying to steal your scotch. You had the you had the Johnny Walker Red Label, and I just I just couldn't couldn't resist. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't resist. Well, I, I sent this e I sent this email, and I sent it twice, and I hadn't heard anything back from you. I was getting ready to call your producer and say, Hey, could you let Benny know? I said I emailed him like I said just in case you know it's going into a spam filter or whatever. And it turned out at the time you were in the process of moving because. When you got back to me, you just moved into your new apartment. I, I, rem I remember that. And I remember the third time I, I wrote to you, and then you wrote back to me. This is the day after Christmas. And I wrote this whole thing of, you know, dear Mr. Mardonis, just wanted to wish you and your family a happy holiday, um, letting you know that I did send the email on December 13th, as I promised. Hope you got it. And then I wrote, P.S., I will be in the Los Angeles area on January 28th, 29th, 30th. If you'd like to meet for dinner, let me know. And then you write back about 10 minutes later. You say, uh, Dear Adam, when you're ready to come to L.A., give me a call, XXXXXXX. This is my private number. Keep it that way, and we'll hang out for dinner. Can't wait to see you. Love, Benny. And uh, it's, this may sound trite, and this may make me sound like some sort of story I'd admire, but just feeling that personal connection and knowing that, hey, this guy who has who sold six million records and has fans all over the world would take time to respond to an email from me and then go to dinner with me. That just meant so much to me. And I know so many people who would have been happy with just the email. So just a well, little you're thing. You're a good cat. You're a good cat, man. You've always been as good as they come. So you know what? Well, it thanks. was my pleasure. Thanks, thanks, thanks. And I can tell you that, I mean, I could go on for two hours, but that would just completely, I mean, it just completely changed my life in ways that I couldn't have fathomed at the time. So like many musicians, and indeed, like many business owners, we've touched on this a little bit on the call so far. Your career's had its ups and downs. Now, during the oh, yeah. downtimes, now during the downtimes when it seems like you can't chart ahead, it seems like the royalties aren't coming in, nothing seems to happen. You can't book a gig, which so many musicians have gone through. In fact, I've spoken to a few others, and they tell me the same story, no matter who they are. What do you find yourself glad that you had been doing when times were good, 
that are now tiding you through this little rough patch you're going through whenever it happens? Well, I, as you know, when I became, uh, I went from famine to feast, uh, I got uh, sucked into all the, the, what you would call the excesses of rock and roll, drugs, alcohol, and just lost control. I was like an unguided missile. And, uh, but the one thing I did have is I had a core of real friends around me. And when I fell, they helped pick me up. And when I thought the whole world had forgotten me, I get a call to come up to Syracuse to do a concert. And as you know, it, it's now become a legendary concert at a place called Long Branch Park. Right. And the central New York crowds were 12,000 strong when I thought I was opening. I said, who am I opening for, the frickin' Beatles? Because they're offering me... <laughs> He offered me a nice chunk of money and to do it, and I saw the crowd, and he says, Benny, you're the headliner. And that day changed my life. Uh, I went out on stage, realized that there were still people that loved me and loved the music, and it gave me a second chance at life. And uh, nine months later, my son Michael was born. And the night he was born, I went home. I took all my drug paraphernalia took everything in the house that was no good and threw it out my seventh-story window from my penthouse apartment in Manhattan, called my good friend who was a road manager at the time and said, get me out of New York within 24 hours or I'm going to be dead. He said, pack your stuff. I was so out of it, I put all my stuff in garbage bags. And so there was the great Benny Mardona standing outside with a newborn baby boy and five garbage bags filled with clothes. I went to Syracuse where it snows seven months out of the year. And all I did for three months was shovel snow. And female fans of mine that came over, they took care of my son with formula and dressing him and changing him and helping me. And after three months in Syracuse, a lot of people go to Betty Ford Clinic for help. A lot of people go to drug rehab. I went to Syracuse and shoveled snow. And I love it up there, and I still do. I like it up there, too. I go up there a couple times a year when you do a show. I try and get up there whenever I can. They're lovely people. I feel like I've made a lot of friends up there just from going to your shows and going to some of your events. I was told when I signed up for the very first fan dinner I attended back in 2008, I spoke with your producer uh, on the telephone, and he said, be prepared that your life is going to change and you're going to make connections that are going to follow you for the rest of your life. And I thought that was a little bit of hyperbole. They were, like, reselling the ticket to me to make me feel glad I bought it. But uh, that is just so true. And I think that what you just shared with us in terms of that thing you were so glad you'd been doing when things were good, which was to take care of the people who took care of you, to be good to those who were good to you, to be as much as you could be a genuine, considerate person that – and they, they say when the chips are down, you find out who your real friends are. You were oh, fortunate yeah. enough to have some people around you who were still standing there who would not give up on you no matter what, who That's were there right. to bail you out when you needed it. You get what you put out. You know, when I, when I became wealthy and famous, I was still Benny. You know, my friends could still come to me, and if they needed help, I'd step up without a question, and I helped a lot of people. I helped a lot of people get their careers kick-started as well. As you know, I found John Bon Jovi in a garage at a recording studio when he was 16 years old. 
I said, kid, I don't know if you can sing or not, but you'll be the best-looking guy in rock and roll. And, and I told Doc, Doc McGee about him down in Miami, and Doc, of course, became John's manager, and the rest is history. Right, 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 right. And, and there are several people in my own circle who know that you know Bon Jovi and keep asking me if you know him and can hook him oh, up. I know him very well. Yeah, I know. I know. It's, it's amazing who we meet in our life when we just open the doors and allow things to come in. Well, he's a hell of a good guy. He's, the thing about John, he's the same way now as he was when he was broke. He's, a, he's just a good man, and I'm proud to be called a friend, and I'm glad I could help him. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people are very glad you could help him. I mean, you've helped so many people. You've uh, you've been of assistance to people who are personal friends of mine um, in just various different ways. It's just so much about taking care of those who um, show themselves to be appreciative of it and how that's going to come back to help you. And I think when you're in any business or any venture, uh, knowing that if you go through trying to help people, instead of looking for ways to get an extra dollar or two out of them through some upsell, you're going to find that when you need a helping hand, when you're having an off month and you need somebody to say yes to something to put money in your bank account, that they're going to be more likely to be there to help you when you've been there to help them. Absolutely. Because I've, I've been in that situation um, myself, uh, you know, just speaking candidly, I, I told you about that one time where um, it was during the beginning of the Great Recession, and my business took a little bit of a hit, and I was just going through that time. I just need somebody to say yes to me, and, uh, and, I, had, and I got five no's right in a no, and right in a row, and then I said, you know, I, I give up, and I shut my computer off, and I went down, and I, and I took a walk, and then... Two hours later, I got back, and I found out that my assistant had been trying to get a hold of me, my joint venture partner had been trying to get a hold of me, and the fifth no had been trying to get a hold of me because they said, you know what, you've been so valuable, we thought this over again, and we realized this is probably something that we should do. We don't know why we're doing it, but you've been so instrumental to us thus far that we can only see how this can help our business even more. And I'm thinking, thank That goes back to God. what I was talking about for singers and songwriters that are trying to make it in the business. Expect to be rejected. Expect no's. Because, you know, a lot of people, it makes them feel powerful that they can say no to someone. And usually it's because they haven't fulfilled their dreams. And right. just, just know what you're doing and do it well and know that you do it well. And eventually... No's will turn into yeses, and that's a guarantee because that's how life is. Right, right, right. That's so true. And, you know, not only on this point, but on many other points as well, not only your generosity, your outlook, the way you approach business, the way you understand the principle of what Grandma Homie used to call stick to hanging in there, never giving up, I yeah. think there's another way that many musicians could take a cue from you. Uh, you are more than many people from what we like to call your era, say the 1980s or you know, the adult right. contemporary world where you've had some chart hits as well, you're all over Facebook and Twitter. And, man, when I look you up on YouTube, there are so many bootleg recordings from your concerts, just people holding up their iPhones and such. It feels like I'm sitting in the front row watching you sing Into the Night all over again. <laughs> now, you are all, all over the place. I mean, uh, I mean uh, you, you, know, you show up on my... Facebook feed twice a day, um, we're regulars on Twitter, I see all these videos of you on YouTube. How do you manage all that? Well, I have help. Right. <laughs> I've got a girl in Toronto, I call her 99, as in Agent 99. 
Right. Marlene, Marlene Lancaster takes care of uh, Facebook and uh, and Jim Irvin from Warrior Records also helps out with the Facebook and and personal needs. And if if a letter comes in or a request comes in that is important, it's forwarded to me immediately, and I pick up the phone and easily call the person, especially if someone's going through a tough time. But um, you know. I'm, I'm known for that, and I'm also known for putting on great shows. So, you know, whenever I walk on stage, you're never going to be the same. By the end of the concert, you won't be the same person that walked in. And uh, that served me very well. That served me very well. And I'm just fortunate that people are still talking about me. Well, we're, we're very fortunate to have you around. I remember after my very first concert that I ever attended, I was up in Syracuse with a buddy of mine, and uh, we were at the Turning Stone Resort, which is also a casino. And, uh, you know, we got back up to the room, and I dropped my stuff off, and he wanted to, uh, he wanted to go down and hit the blackjack tables. He's like, come on, man, I want, I want to hit. I'm feeling hot. I'm feeling lucky. I said, pal, you got to give me an hour. I just had to sit in my room for an hour and just let it process through my mind the impact that your performance had on me. Wow. I just had to listen to the songs play in my head over and over again. I mean, a little bit was, granted, I was a little bit starstruck. It's been really the first time in my life I'd ever been in such proximity to somebody of your level of achievement and caliber, particularly in the music industry, but just something about it. And I think it had a lot to do with the sense of the personality you bring into it and how everything that you perform all of your songs all of your lyrics speak to something that means something highly personal to you like for what well, really sure. gripped me is i heard that song do you play the last song of every concert sheila c which was about uh that your tale of unrequited love and i mean god i've i mean i've been there a couple times myself as has everybody i've known and that just hit me where i live yeah well you know if you want to know what's going on in my life just read my lyrics because you don't have to go very far to find subject matter to write about. I write about things going on in my life, some good, some bad. And, you know, if you're honest, there's a certain honesty. You know, songwriters write songs. Composers let the song write them. And I'm a composer. I mean, I've written songs. I started out as a staff writer at CBS when I was a kid. Had 23 cover records as a writer. And uh, then when I started writing for myself, what did I write about? Oh, I wrote about things I know. What do I know? What happens to me in my life? And that's what I wrote about. And it served me very well. I Absolutely. It's that, again, it's, as I said earlier, I could pick up a book and I could tell if they had somebody authored for them or I could tell if this is actually their heart and soul being poured into it, usually within the first couple pages. Right, right. So... So as, a, so as a quick follow-up to the question about, uh, you know, how you get help with managing all this social media stuff and how you manage to keep it at such a personal level, even though it's kind of hard to physically conceive of any human being being in so many places at one time, even on social media. I mean, what, with your recording, your performing schedule, and, uh, yeah. and you have a family and everything else. I mean, how, how can you spend that much time online? So obviously you have people helping you, but just the way that's being done it feels so personal. They well, we, I, I wanted it that way. I wanted it yeah. to stay personal. I, you know, that's why I trust 99 so much. I, you know, she knows how I think. And I, I told her, you know, any, anything comes in, anybody's in trouble, anybody needs a hug, anybody needs a call, you send it to me immediately. And she does an incredible job. Because you just can't, you can't reach out and call everyone because there's thousands. But the ones that are 
important. And I'm not saying that they're all not important. And right. I love all the I love you messages that I get. And uh, when it's something serious that you know a phone call or a personal visit is going to change their life and help them in a dark time in their life, you step up and do it. At least that's what I do. That's how I was raised. Right. Right, right, right. And and, and, and I know Marley as well. Marley uh, is a friend of mine, and I know that uh, she feels a very strong sense of dedication to you, and she's studied your mannerisms and your personality. And so uh, when she delivers some of those messages for you, um, you know, people feel that's really you. And they know that even if you weren't the one that actually logged in and sat on Facebook and typed it, they know that's the same as it's coming from you, and it feels the same way. I know there have been she's, times that she's written stuff on my wall. Yeah, no, she's as good as it gets. She has, she has a heart like mine. She knows how I think. And whenever she's not sure about something, she just calls me. We work it right. out. I couldn't do it without her, I'll tell you that. Right, right, right. I know, I know. So why do you think that uh, she's so devoted? Why do you think that the people around you, whether it be Marley, whether it be your producers, um, you mentioned Jim Irvin of Warrior Records, another great guy, and I know you work yeah. with some other people as well. Why do you think they stand by you and give you such a high level of dedication? Well, I'm blessed. Um, I don't know. I just I treat them with love. I, I constantly let them know how important they are in my life so that they know that I know the sacrifice that they're giving to be there for me. And um, I've just been blessed with dear people around me. And, uh, you know, when you, when you do any kind of business, it's important that you have a core of people around you that you can trust with your life. I mean, that you just trust and you know that everybody's on the same page. And when you got that, you become, you become invincible. Invincible. You have to win. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before we take a couple questions from the audience, there's actually another question I just uh, thought of. Uh, you know, those who follow me closely have known that I've been mentioning this new song of yours, and we haven't really had a chance to talk about it much. So just uh, tell us a little bit about what's going on currently. I mean, you're certainly now, Are you going to play, play the new song? Are you going to play the new song? Um, if you state your permission... Now, I have a way where I can just log in at the very end of this call and everybody can listen to it, but I'm going to ask That's everybody I, I, I'm going to ask well, them to do have something my else permission. as well. You'd have my okay, permission great. because it's an important song, and I'll tell you why. Mostly, I write all my own songs, but this is different. Larry Butler is a legendary Grammy-winning record producer and writer. He wrote and produced all of Kenny Rogers' hits, Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, Crystal Gale, He's, he's legendary for, in Nashville and around the country to those that know great writers. Yes. He, went to, he left his home in Nashville to go to Muscle Shoals, Alabama to do some recording. While he was there, he woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning and he had this song in his head and he wrote it down. And the next day, he cut a demo with the musicians at Muscle Shoals and he called his wife and he said, Sweetheart, I think I've just written the best song of my life, and I wrote it for you. It's called I've Got You. And she was so excited, and he came home three days later. And before they went to bed, he took his diabetic medicine that had been prescribed to him for some time. Sure. And the pharmacy, the pharmacy had made an error and put the wrong prescription in his, in his, in his pill thing. He took the wrong medicine, and she woke up the next morning, and he was gone. 
and he passed away, and this was about three and a half months ago. Right. And the the music industry was in a state of shock because Larry Butler was healthy, and he had diabetes, but he was healthy and still writing. And I know that Michael Bluebley wanted this song. Several artists wanted this song, but his wife Peggy said, no, I want Benny Mardonis to sing this song. So when I went into the booth to do the vocal, I had a picture of Larry. And I put it across my heart, and I said, Larry, this one is for you, pal. This is the song you wrote for your wife. I'm going to do the best job I can. And I think it's one of the finest vocals and finest records that I've ever recorded in my life. So it has a very personal touch to it. It was the last song ever written by Larry, and he wrote it specifically for the woman he loved, his wife. Right. And it's a song called I've Got You. Yep. Yeah, I, I love I love that myself. I remember the first time I ever heard it. It was that first night they played it on the radio station in Los Angeles, the first time I ever heard it myself. And uh, I was it was another one of those situations where I was just so moved that this song I, this song brings me to tears. I'll tell you the truth. I, yeah. I listen to it on the radio. They play it once a night on ninety four seven The Wave, and after a few weeks, it's top five phones. So I'll listen in, and it'll play, and I get tears running down my face because I'm so sad that Larry's not here to see what's going on, and yet I'm very thankful to God that Peggy is holding up really well, and she looked, she sent me an email after hearing my recording and said no one could have done it better, no one in the world, and she thanked me. So that was like an email I'll save forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know it's it's quite beautiful, and at the end, and at the end, everybody, we're gonna you're gonna have a chance to hear it. Uh, and you know, again, I thank you very much for that. And we'll we'll plug it in at the very end. And people, you're really gonna love this song if you haven't heard it already. So before we take a, a couple questions to the audience here, real quick, um, what advice do you offer anyone in business above and beyond what we've already covered to help them become and remain a rock star in their industry or niche? Well, make sure you're in the real world. You know, don't uh, don't talk yourself into something if, that you're doing. When it's right, your body and heart and soul and stomach, that little button in your stomach will let you know. Because if you don't believe in it, and if you're not keeping your feet in the world, in the real world, it'll be sensed by those that you approach. But nobody can turn down someone that's got passion and a bright idea. I mean, there's a million ways out there to, to make yourself become successful financially and stature-wise in the business you've chosen. You know, you have to believe in it first. And if people see you that you believe in it, it makes them want to believe in it. And that's my advice, and that is expect the no's, but just know that the yeses are going to come. And don't right. give up. Thank you. Thank you. So... Uh, just checking the uh, just checking the Q and A here. Uh, we got a couple really great questions. Let's start with Amy Taggart in Seattle, Washington. And Amy asks, Benny, they say you're successful when you're in demand, but how do you deal with the overwhelm that occurs when you start to feel like you're being pulled in every direction by so many people who want to work with you? How do you balance that? You line it up. You prioritize it like a triage unit. You know, and you figure yeah. out what the best two or three things you can devote some time to and you go after them and you let the others know, get back to me in six months and let's talk. But the, you pick out what you want to go for and 
when I get offers to write with people and to sing on their albums and stuff, and some I do and some I just don't have time. And it doesn't mean they're not talented. doesn't mean they don't deserve the time. It's just I'm one person. You can only do what you can do. And if you spread yourself too thin, that's a recipe for disaster. Right. I've I've been there more than once in my life myself, and it's like uh, it's like I see like the final nerve just snapping in half. It's just unraveling. It's just being pulled too far apart, like optically, right in front of my eyes. So that's a very good point because I see too many people in business, too many entrepreneurs who try and do everything because their mastermind tells them to do it, or because they get a couple customer at, who ask for it and they say, "Oh yeah, there must be a demand, so I must go for this." Or they have to offer everything and the kitchen sink, and by the time all said and done, it becomes so diluted that they can't yeah. really focus on being any kind of star at all. They're just well, well, just, who remember, just, just remember one thing: we rode into the night early morning, around 10:30 in the morning, it was done. We got in my car. We went to my record label, Polydor Records Worldwide. I walked into the president's office, and I said, we just wrote a hit. He said, let me hear it. Bobby played acoustic guitar, and I stood up on his desk. That's right, on his desk, <laughs> and, sang, and sang into the night. And he said, it's a good song. Whether it's a great song or not, I'm not sure. But uh, we already have everything we need for your album. So go down to Miami and just cut the album, and we're very excited. And as we left his office, we got in the elevator and we looked at each other and we burst out laughing because we knew he didn't know what the hell he was talking about. So when we got to Miami, I taught the band into the night just for fun. We were in pre-production. And the legendary and late record producer who produced the Ohio Players, Styx, Pat Travers, and ultimately me, uh, he walked in and said, what is that song? And I said, it's a song Bobby and I just wrote, but... The president of the label didn't know if it was a great song. He said, Ben, that's your first single. That's a top ten record. So Barry Moraz had the golden ears. And we uh, cut a basic track, just drums, keyboard, uh, drums, keyboard, and guitar, and a scratch vocal, and sent it to the president of Polydor. And the day after he got it, I got a phone call, and he was going, fantastic, fantastic, this is a hit. Where, where, where did you come up with this record? And I said, Freddie, it's the song I sang for you 10.30 in the morning last week. And there was a dead silence for 30 seconds. And I said, but we don't have to talk about that. He goes, of course not. We have a hit record. Thank you. So there you go. Here was the president of a billion-dollar worldwide company. And he didn't hear the hit. But I knew it was a hit. And I believed it. And I had passion. And I stuck with it. When you get the no from the president of a conglomerate, it's hard to turn it into a yes. But that's exactly what we did because we didn't stop believing just because someone else didn't. Tenacity, courage, backbone, the ability to get back up when you get knocked down, that's the key to success in any business. Okay, so we have another great question here. This is from uh, George Bruno in Philadelphia, and here's his question. He says, I've done a great job branding myself as a stylist and created a decent following within the past eight months. I'm the go-to guy in Philly for models and actors, of which I'm one. What I really want to do is become a national spokesperson, sort of like the progressive insurance girl or the Dosa Keys guy or something yeah. along those lines, or the, or the Gecko uh, from Geico Insurance. Commercial acting is a hard way to make a living. Audition lines are not the way to go, and I can imagine it's probably not too different in the, business, in the music business. And what he's saying is, I need to find another way to get out of the line and get a role. So what 
what advice would you have for someone in that situation? Well, when, you, when you're dealing with the ad people out here in California, you need to have an agent, an agent to represent you. And you need to send packages with your pictures and your resume. And, your, and, and I always tell people to write a mission statement as to what you want to accomplish. And eventually, one of them will get back to you. And when, you do, when they do, you build from that. It's a tough business. Modeling and stuff, that's like getting into the movies or getting into the music business. Everybody wants to do it. There's a, got a lot of good-looking people out there. There's a lot of great singers out there. There's a lot of great writers out there. But you don't let that bother you. You go after it like you're the only one there. And eventually, that yes will happen. Right, right, right. So it's a matter of, so again, it's a matter of tenacity because I think what George is saying is it gets tedious after a while standing in line all the time. So he's wondering, is there any way around that? And I think part of what you're saying is great, which is it comes from having a solid marketing plan. You're not just being reactive. Like there's a casting call, so you put your name in and you show up and you wait your turn. You're being proactive. You, you you a great presentation. After. A great presentation is always welcome. If they see a classy presentation, never give them too much. Give them enough so that they still want to see more. Right. But uh, I find that if you make your presentation top shelf, that really helps. There used to be manila envelopes with pictures and please help me. That never gets anywhere. Right, but, right. Uh, In marketing, you know, we call this a shock and awe box, where you just open the box and they say, holy crap, this guy's really got it together. Right. Right, right. So you're suggesting he do something like that, where he just really has – a killer presentation that just totally sets aside the manila envelope of which you've gotten 20 of that day, but it's the one that stands out and they say, this is somebody who we've got to call back. And don't write a three-page letter. Write a one-page personal letter to the person you're sending it to so that he can feel your passion. Because, you know, the worst thing people can do is they say, Benny, can I send you some? Oh, well, it's great to meet you. Could I send you some of my songs? I said, send me a couple of songs. They'll send me a CD with 30 songs on it. I'm not going to listen to 30 songs. I'll listen to four or five songs, but I don't have time to sit and listen to 30 songs. It's the same way with the ad agencies out here. If you send them a short letter and a great presentation, that'll get a lot more attention. You send somebody a three-page letter, they won't read it. So we're talking about being concise, and we're talking about being measured and focused. That's it. Right. Great, 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 awesome. So, uh, so I have uh, just uh, I just have one or two more questions, and one of which I think you've kind of answered already. But let's just go through it, just to make sure we capture all the points. Uh, we have two uh, viewers, uh, Charles in Boca Raton and Brandon in Prescott, Arizona, who both ask questions that kind of boil down to this. So I'll, I'll read out how I kind of put them together. And they ask, how can I automate communications and still maintain engagement? It's taking forever to put together a content plan and then respond to comments. So how can you personally? write a reply to each fan. So what we've covered so far is you obviously can't. Uh, there's just not enough Benny Mardonis. There's not enough anybody to do that. Even the people you have working with you, such as Marlene, can't necessarily cover all those bases. Right. But what I got was that you make it personal by letting people know you care, by being responsive, by allowing those who really need you to get through and having somebody's story 
keep on top of that and keep on top of you to make sure the responses get done. I know that uh, I have somebody uh, I have somebody in my business who um, prompts me to make sure I respond to things when sometimes I just there just gets to be too much. So that uh, they so that your fans sort of have an advocate looking out for them to make sure that uh, they get connected to you, which I think is very important. So that helps well, you be more responsive. Well, you know, first of all, when you walk on stage, sometime yeah. during the show, you have to stop and say, by the way, I want to thank everybody for the emails and all the messages that you've sent me. I try to get back to everyone, but it's almost impossible. But just keep trying, and eventually I'll get back to you. But I want you to know how much it means to me. Because that's a form of acknowledgement to the crowd. Right. And yes, you do have to screen your stuff. If you don't have someone doing it for you, you have to. Because when you get to the one that says, my dad's in the hospital. He just had a major heart attack. And he really likes your song, such and such. You stop what you're doing. You pick up the phone. And you call her father. And you tell, her, tell him that you're praying for him. And that you appreciate his kind words. And let me tell you this. That phone call permeates to 150 other people that know that fella, that Benny Mardonis or whoever, took the time to, to stop what he was doing and personally call me, and it has impacted and changed many lives. So that's my advice. Do as many as you can do and look out for the special ones from the young kids and from people that are not getting along so well. Take time to offer them a few lines of love and encouragement. It will come back to you a thousandfold. Great, 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 great. That's 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 an that's an awesome point. Which is now we're thinking a little bit beyond just how do we make sure that if we get 20 incoming, we make sure there's 20 outgoing. Now we're looking at the ripple effect. We're lo looking at the larger audience. We're looking at what impact will answering this one person's questions, making this one phone call. How can you make we... a phone call like that, and and 150 people will know about it within 24 hours. Right. And then, then all of a sudden, everybody's opinion of you. Wow, what a nice thing that guy did, man. I, you know what? I'm going to listen to his music. That works, and that works in business, too. When you're seen as somebody who is attentive to their customers, who's attentive to their prospects, who if you write to them on Facebook or whatever, they actually respond to it or what have you, that goes a long way towards showing you're not just someone who's in it for the money. You're not just um, a marketing voice. You're a real oh, yeah. person. And, really and you know, we're in the worst economy in my lifetime, and I'm sure your listeners as well. And let me give right. you this bit of advice. And that is that I see it as fertile soil for you out there because the business world is filled with sharks, thieves, crooks, and a handful of good people. And you can be one of the handful of good people. Make it personal. Let them know that you care and that you're passionate about what you're sending them. And ask, take a minute to ask how their family's doing. It's the little things like that that separate you from all the sharks out there. Because everybody is so on defense now because they're afraid of getting taken advantage of in this terrible economy that uh, we find ourselves in. And believe me, it affects everyone, including musicians such as myself. If you take time to separate yourself from the pack of wolves, by putting a personal touch on your presentation or your phone call or your email, it makes all the difference in the world. Right, right, Ab absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it just it feels warmer, it feels more engaged, and it lets people know you're one of the good guys. Exactly, and you, you do that, let me tell you, you'll, you'll get responses. Right. Because my business is no different than your business. It's no different. I sing songs and write songs,
you guys come up with ideas and advantages for people to do, do business with you, make them want to do business with you. And you can do that by making it personal. And when I you're dealing with them, make them feel like they're the only person in the world right now that you're talking to. I think that's going to be going to be one of the biggest takeaways of this entire call, which is to what you just said, to give the personal touch, to just let people know that you care. Because uh, you think about it, when you're a rock star, whether you're on stage or whether you're the leading voice in your industry, people want to feel like they're connected to greatness. And they themselves decide, and they themselves decide what greatness is. Just uh, slightly off topic here, a friend of mine, um, and a customer of our company for many years, Jim Palmer, the newsletter guru, when he published his first book, The Magic of Newsletter Marketing, and he started going to presentations, he started going to trade shows, he started speaking at Glazer Kennedy chapters, and he had copies of this book. The thing that surprised him more than anything else, more than how many he sold or what people said to him about it, were the number of people who wanted his autograph. And here he is, he's just average Jim Palmer from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, um, had a business for years uh, writing newsletters, and now he's moved on into the world of info marketing and coaching and consulting, and he has all these people asking for his autograph because they feel like they're touching greatness. I know how I feel when I'm in the audience and I catch one of those towels you throw out. Well, there's probably a couple people that came to the conference thinking it was Jim Palmer, the pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles. So He runs into that all the time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so bring a few baseballs with you. Bring a few baseballs with you to sign for the kids. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's the same thing. Uh, because when you go up on stage, for those of you on the call who have never been to one of Benny's concerts before, um, whenever he's allowed to do it, um, he'll, have a, he'll have a gentleman standing by the side, and they have this big bucket full of towels. And they're just ordinary washcloths, but they have the Benny Mardonis logo on them. So they soak them in this bucket. And uh, then he, he, he rings him out, and then he tosses one to Benny, and Benny sort of waves it over his head and drips it on himself a little bit. Then he hurls it out into the audience, and you have people, like, falling over each other trying to catch these towels. Yeah, they, they go crazy <laughs> over the towels. Yeah. I want to first of all thank you, man, for this interview and to all the wonderful people that are listening. I think it's time that Adam plays you my new song, I've Got You. Yeah, yeah. So, so everybody, um, there's, uh, there's two things that I, uh, I want you to do now. First of all is um, Benny and I are going to break off in just a second. Benny, if you could stay with me for just one minute after I switch over to the song, that'd be great, so we can wrap sure. up between you and me. And uh, sure. so I want everybody to stay on the line for just four more minutes and listen to this song called I've Got You. This is Benny's new single. It's getting more and more attention on radio stations in a number of different markets. It's on iTunes, and that's number one. And then number two is after you listen to the song, just show your appreciation and give yourself the gift. Give yourself the gift of the beautiful song you're about to hear. Just go to iTunes, look up Benny Mardonis, I've Got You, or if you want a shortcut to it, just go to your web browser and type in www.ivegotyousong.com, and that will take you right to it on iTunes. Invest the dollar, buy I've Got You, and play it with someone you love or someone you care about. It is a truly beautiful song. Just give yourself that gift. So, Thank you, so Benny, for all just, of us, go ahead. Let me, let me just add one thing. Uh, if there are any singer-songwriters out there that really think you, that you're on your game, you get a hold of Adam Homie, send three or four songs on a CD to him, or MP3 it to him, and he'll get it to me, and I'll give it a listen, and I'll give you a call back. 
I'll be happy to do that. I'll be happy yeah. to do that. So, so Benny, on behalf of all of us, I just want to thank you for uh, – I know you're, you're very busy these days with a single release. I want to thank you for making time for the Help My Website Sell community, and I think that we've learned a great deal here that will help everybody on this call become a rock star in your industry or niche. So, Benny, thank you from the bottom of my heart. God bless. It's my pleasure, Carl. All right, great. So everybody, um, yeah, Benny, just stick with me for a second. Everybody else, uh, here comes the song. I've got you. 